0: This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this episode, I will be reading chapters 1 and 2 from my book Experiencing God Directly The Way of Christian Non Duality. Chapter 1 Jesus as a Proclaimer of Non Duality Jesus was a proclaimer of the non dual presence of God. He called it the kingdom of God. According to the Gospels, his earliest message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We would use different language today. The word kingdom is a concept from another time and place. Today, most people have no personal experience with kings and kingdoms. A somewhat better translation for our day might be the realm of God. That would keep the royal imagery, yet widen the concept. An even better translation of kingdom of God for today would be the presence of God or the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence is one of those theological terms that is not used in ordinary conversation. In fact, it is seldom used outside of academic theological discourse. Yet it is one of the basic tenets of Christian theology. Omnipresence refers to the all-pervading presence of God, God is in all places at all times. This is more than a theological doctrine. It is a living awareness available to everyone. Christian theology is practical and not theoretical. Theology is best understood as a description of our experience of God. To say that God is omnipresent is not just saying something about the nature of God. It says something about our experience of God. It describes my experience of God. To experience this presence, Jesus calls us to repent. That is another awkward term, which is often colored with moralistic overtones. The word repent literally means to rethink. Jesus was saying, Think again. God is here. Reach out and touch. See for yourself. Even the word God is misleading. It means different things to different people. A Muslim means one thing, a Hindu another, and a Native American still another. As I use the word, it refers to the one undefinable, unnameable divine reality. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, Isaiah fifty-five eight. God is omnipresent. Anyone with eyes to see can see God. God is everywhere. You can't miss God. As Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I would add, whoever has eyes to see, let them see. Jesus' Awakening Most Christians do not think about Jesus having a conversion experience. But the Gospels clearly describe a moment when Jesus' life changed and he woke up to his true nature and identity. As an adolescent, Jesus first got a glimpse of his true nature at his bar mitzvah at the age of 12. The rabbis and religious leaders were amazed at his understanding as they conversed with him in the temple courts. He expressed an intimacy with God as his father that was uncommon. But this was only an early glimpse of the fullness that was to come later. At the age of 30, Jesus had what one could call an awakening. On the day he was baptized, he became fully aware of his identity as the Son of God. The Hebraic expression, son of, means one who shares characteristics with, or one who shares the nature of. James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were known as the sons of thunder because of their fiery tempers. Joseph, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of God means one who shares the nature and character of God. Adam is called the son of God, Luke three thirty-eight, And his descendants were called sons of God, Genesis 6, 2. But by Jesus' day, the expression Son of God was a claim to divinity. Caesar was called the Son of God. Consequently, it was considered blasphemy by the religious establishment. All four of the Gospels record Jesus' baptism as a seminal event in his life. Jesus had listened to the preaching of the wilderness prophet John, whom many scholars theorize was associated with the ascetic Qumran community near the Dead Sea. Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. The Gospels say that during this baptism, the heavens were opened to him, and the Spirit of God descended upon him and remained on him. He heard the voice of God calling him his beloved Son, Jesus understood himself as one with God's divine nature. This experience transformed Jesus' life. From that moment on, he was the Christ, which means the Anointed One, anointed with the Spirit of God. This was a consciousness of God that was permanent. John described the change in Jesus' life by saying that the Spirit of God remained on him as opposed to the fleeting spiritual experiences of the Spirit, which were typical of other Hebrew prophets. Jesus' awakening to his true nature and identity was followed by a time of integration. Jesus immediately retreated by himself into the wilderness. There in solitude he was tempted by the devil. Three temptations challenged Jesus' new identity as the Son of God. In the end, Jesus believed the voice of God rather than the voice of doubt. Jesus returned from the wilderness with a clear message calling others to experience the presence of God for themselves. Pointing with Parables Jesus had a unique style of teaching. He taught as one having authority, not as the scribes, according to Matthew 7.29. Meaning that he spoke from his own self-authenticating experience of God, his teaching was not a second-hand reinterpretation of scripture and tradition. Often he would emphasize the discontinuity between his teachings and traditional religious teachings by saying, You have heard that it was said of old, but I say unto you, One distinctive teaching method that Jesus employed was the parable. Parables are metaphors, similes, or allegories meant to convey spiritual truth. Truth is a mystery that cannot be spoken of directly. It can only be referred to obliquely through the use of illustrations. These pointers to truth hide truth as well as reveal it. Only those who are spiritually ready to receive the message could hear it. Others would miss the point completely. The Gospel of Matthew records this interchange between Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance." But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. They Ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Matthew 13:10 through 16 The parables of Jesus are comparable to Cohen's. In the Zen tradition, the Japanese word "koan" means a public teaching. Like parables, Koans were meant to be heard publicly. And like parables, only those ready to receive it would be transformed by it. All others would be deaf and blind to its spiritual intent. Parables point beyond themselves to a spiritual reality that cannot be communicated in thoughts or ideas. They are meant to shift the consciousness of the hearer so that they can see that which is invisible, as the letter to the Hebrews describes it. Jesus' parables often speak of how the kingdom of God is revealed. Jesus commonly used agricultural illustrations to describe the kingdom as a natural process that grows unnoticed in the world and in the human heart till one day it blossoms into full realization. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself first the blade then the head after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Mark four twenty six 26-29 The kingdom is a mystery. It does not appear by human effort, nor can it be understood by human knowledge. It is a natural process that one day blooms into fullness. Jesus said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth, but when it is sown it grows up and it becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may rest under its shade. Mark 430 32 The kingdom of God can begin with a tiny insight or flash of intuition, but it slowly grows into full awareness Of the divine. Sometimes the kingdom dawns gradually like a seed growing in a field, other times the kingdom comes suddenly and unexpectedly. Jesus told several parables to that effect. Jesus spoke often about the coming of the Son of Man. The phrase Son of Man was Jesus' favourite term to refer to himself. The coming of the Son of Man was another way of speaking about the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He said, And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. The kingdom of God can come upon a person like a lightning strike. Often Christians understand the kingdom of God in such apocalyptic passages as a cataclysmic event coming in the future, which is ushered in by the physical, visible return of Jesus from heaven. But the kingdom of God does not have to be understood as an historical event happening in the distant future. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God Present with power is matthew sixteen twenty eight this verse has caused great consternation to Christians who understand the kingdom of God exclusively as a future event occurring in history. Such a kingdom did not come in the lifetimes of the people who heard Jesus speak these words. This is a serious problem for literalists; It means that either Jesus made a mistake or that he was a false prophet both of which are unacceptable alternatives for Christians. To find a suitable solution, interpreters have performed hermeneutical gymnastics to twist Jesus' words to fit a preconception of the kingdom as an eschatological event in the future. But when the verse is understood as referring to a person who sees the invisible presence of God, the saying makes perfect sense. Jesus is simply saying that some of the people who were listening to his words would personally see the kingdom of God present with power. These persons would become aware of God's presence during their lifetimes. On another occasion, Jesus was performing exorcisms, and he said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you clearly jesus taught that the kingdom of god was already present as evidenced in his ministry jesus also said the kingdom of god does not come with observation nor will they say see here or see there for indeed the kingdom of god is within you that's luke 17:20 20 and 21 an alternate translation of the verse reads the kingdom of god is in your midst both translations are acceptable The kingdom of God is both within and without. In the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth, and men do not see it. The kingdom of God is present here and now, but only those with eyes to see can see it. Christians do not have to choose between these two interpretations of the kingdom of God as present reality or a prophetic future event. Those who view the kingdom of God as an eschatological event in the future, there are enough biblical texts to support that claim. For those who adhere to a realized eschatology of the kingdom as a present reality, there are numerous texts to support that view. Jesus taught both views. In a parallel manner, non-duality teachers today speak about a conscious awareness of oneness now, and also about a future time when the whole earth will experience an evolutionary shift in consciousness. Christians who see the kingdom of God now know it as eternal and timeless. Those who do not see the present kingdom now await a kingdom coming in the future. Both are true. There need be no contradiction between the two. Truth is non-dual. The two realities are one. When the kingdom comes in history, it will be here now, as it always has been. The only time it can ever appear is in the present. Chapter 2 Unborn Again Evangelical Christians are not born again. That is my assessment from ministering among evangelicals for most of my life. I know Evangelicals well. I would consider myself one. I earned two graduate degrees from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I have served as senior pastor of Southern Baptist churches and American Baptist churches, a more moderate but still Evangelical denomination. I have known Evangelicals, clergy, and laity for a long time, My opinion is that very few are born again in the way that Jesus describes it. I am not suggesting that evangelicals are not saved in the way in which they understand salvation in terms of life in heaven after death. Evangelicals certainly believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they trust in Christ for eternal life. If that is what it means to be born again, then evangelicals are born again. That is what evangelicals mean by the term born again, but that is not what Jesus meant when he used that phrase. Listen to what Jesus actually said. The story is found in John's Gospel. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religion's ruling council. Nicodemus had previously heard Jesus teach and he was interested enough in his message to want to hear more. Because of the controversial nature of Jesus' ministry and to protect his own reputation as a religious leader, Nicodemus decided to make a clandestine visit to the Galilean preacher. He came to see Jesus under the cover of darkness. Here is the exchange between the two men as recorded in the Gospel of John. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's the end of the conversation between the two men. After this exchange, the Gospel writer, traditionally referred to as the Apostle John, speaks about the importance of believing in Christ and having eternal life through faith in Jesus. The passage culminates in the most beloved of all evangelical verses, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief in Christ is central to the Christian faith of the early church. But it was not what Jesus was talking about when he told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. According to Jesus, being born again means to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The traditional language says, Verily, verily, I say to you. Jesus uses this preamble whenever he wants to emphasize what follows. Jesus is saying that if one is born again, he will absolutely, positively see the kingdom of God. Would any evangelical say that they see the kingdom of God? Not many that I know. They would say they are looking forward to seeing the kingdom of God when Jesus returns in glory. They would say that they expect to enter the kingdom of heaven when they die. They might go so far as to say that they believe that they have in a spiritual sense entered the kingdom of God now in so far as they believe that they have been saved. But very few would say that they see the kingdom of God or that they have entered the kingdom of God in its fullness. Yet that is exactly what Jesus says it means to be born of the Spirit or born again. Being born again is a direct experience of the presence of God here now. When one is born of the Spirit, one immediately enters the kingdom of God and sees the kingdom of God. A door opens before one's eyes and one's view of the universe is transformed. Nicodemus hears Jesus teaching about being born again, but he immediately resists it. It was too radical, too much too soon. He expected a little small talk first, before they got into the heavy stuff. He expected a little theological repartee between colleagues, but instead Jesus immediately lays it all out before him. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' words struck a chord in Nicodemus' heart, and he was afraid. He could feel the ground shifting beneath his feet. In an instinctive reaction of self-defense, Nicodemus comes back with a seemingly silly statement about returning into his mother's womb to be born a second time. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In actuality, he was utilizing a classic rhetorical device. In Latin, it is called reductio ad absurdum. It was well known in Greek debating and also well known among the Jewish rabbis of the first century. Reductio ad absurdum demonstrates that a statement is false by showing the absurdity that follows from its acceptance. How can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Ridiculous. Jesus will not be sidetracked by Nicodemus' debating skills. He rewords it and says that one must be born of the Spirit. Then Jesus explains this spiritual transformation using other words. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus is saying that being born again is a spiritual reality, not a physical one. He describes it like the wind blowing through the Palestinian countryside. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus describes being spiritually born in terms of unknowing. We don't know where the wind comes from and where it is going. It is helpful to know that the Greek and Hebrew words for wind can also be translated spirit. One who is born again doesn't know if he's coming or going, he's just blowing in the wind. This is a description of non dual awareness. Non duality is best described in terms of what it is not. In classic Christian spirituality, this is known as the via negativa, the way of negation. It is also known as negative theology or apophatic theology from the Greek word meaning to deny. Being born again is not this and not that. If you try to describe it, you are missing it. Nothing one can say about it is true without immediately saying the opposite. Even balancing a statement with its opposite misses the mark, because it makes the truth dualistic, and God is non-dual. The Lord is one. Jesus was pointing Nicodemus beyond the common theistic experience of first century Judaism to a direct awareness of the non-dual God. Jesus gave a similar teaching on other occasions When he said that one has to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. That means the same as being born again. A little child has not yet developed the psychological sense of a personal self that separates him from the rest of the world. He is still one. The little child does not experience himself as other than God or God's creation. On the Sermon on the Mount Jesus taught, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Little children are pure in heart. To see God, one must become a little child again. One must be born again. I am. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was saying that before Abraham was born, and before he himself was born, that his true nature is eternal. Jesus' true nature. Is unborn. Centuries later, in the Nicene Creed, Christian theologians would describe Jesus' nature as eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Jesus' self understanding was heretical in that time and place. The Gospel story says that the religious leaders who heard Jesus speak these words picked up stones with the intent to execute him by stoning. These radical words are the essence of Jesus' consciousness, and they are the essence of the Christian's identity in Christ. In using the words, I am, Jesus was making reference to a story about Moses recorded in the book of Exodus. It was Moses' awakening experience. To use traditional Christian terminology, it was his conversion. It happened when Moses was a happily married family man living in the mountains of Midian in the Sinai Peninsula. Moses had been raised in the religious traditions of Egypt as the grandson of the pharaoh. But after committing murder, he fled Egypt and settled in Midian. There he married into a local tribe and embraced the Semitic theism of his wife and father-in-law. One day, while tending the family flock in the wilderness, Moses had a dramatic spiritual encounter. Its visual manifestation was a burning bush, an eternal flame that did not consume its earthly fuel. From the bush, the one God spoke to Moses. God told Moses to free the Hebrews from bondage. Hebrew religious tradition understood this as freedom from the physical bondage of slavery in Egypt, but a fuller understanding would be liberation from spiritual bondage. When Moses asked this one's name, God refused. He is the unnameable. But at the insistence of Moses, God relented. For practical reasons, Moses needed some name to give his people. God replied I am who I am tell them I am sent you Exodus 3:14 When Jesus identified himself as I am he was equating himself with the eternal God throughout the gospel of John Jesus makes repeated reference to himself as I am I am the light of the world I am the bread of life I am the way the truth and the life The self-identity, I am, is the unifying theme of this gospel. In his prologue, John makes it clear who he understands Christ to be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared him John one. Not only is this divine consciousness experience of Jesus it is also the experience of Jesus' followers in the prayer of Jesus, which was offered shortly before his arrest and death. Jesus makes it clear that he expects his followers to know this same oneness. Jesus prayed for his followers saying that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. John seventeen twenty one 21-23 The followers of Christ share the oneness that Jesus had. The awareness of oneness was supposed to be the distinguishing characteristic of Christians and the means that would draw people to faith in Christ. Jesus was a proclaimer of non-duality and he prayed that his followers would experience the same oneness that he knew. You have been listening to Experiencing God Directly, The Way of Christian Non-Duality. Next time I will be reading Chapter 3, Self-Inquiry. You can find my podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can find my blog and a link to my books at marshalldavis.us. Join me next time for another episode of The Dow of Christ.